0: Hey, everybody. This is Steve, the guy from Blue's Clues, and you're listening to
1: the Great Big Beautiful Podcast.
2: Have you ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def
3: TV.
1: You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... You don't want to turn somebody else's lived experience into uh, props for entertainment. That's a it's a really dangerous thing to do. The The idea of tribalism is something that, uh, you know, I mean, it's a hot topic in our world, and it has been since, let's be honest, the last 150,000 years. And it's a thing we wanted to, to talk about, um, without, again, without co-opting somebody else's pain to turn it into our amusement. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors.
3: This is The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. On twitter at the gbb podcast facebook.com slash the gbb podcast jamie we are now going to be in an index get this for the canadian podcast on our national broadcaster here in canada no how how
4: cool is that so how do, what happened did you just ask uh, nicely well, and like smile well and...
3: no there there's a show on the cbc canadian broadcast corporation called podcast playlist and they play a show twice a week or something. And they put a call out. They they said there's never been a national list of Canadians to do podcasts, and we want to do it. And so they're doing it. All I had to do was email. We're on the list. That's awesome. so. If, if, so if anybody asks, we're based in Fredericton. We're not based in Washington. Sure. <laughs>
4: sure. Well, Damn,
2: you guys are in Entertainment Weekly. You're big in yep. Canada. Yeah,
4: we should we should talk about that too. Um, but well, hang on before we before we get to that. Um, yeah. Um, um where can people find this list is it already live um
3: I don't, I don't think it's available yet they're just they're just in the process of creating it so
4: that's pretty look awesome for that that's yeah, and there's awesome. a show
3: called podcast playlist and they play like little interviews and snippets out of different podcasts that people do in canada so i've been trying to get them to pick up some of our shows because we have interviewed some notable canadians yeah man know, chris had chris Adfield, Adfield. mcdonald that type of thing so I'm hoping we'll see. I keep tweeting them. I'm like, do a space episode. We have Hadfield. <laughs> but then and then there's probably someone else, that's had ha- Chris Hadfield too. Who's yeah, but like they're not well. Us.
4: <laughs> they're not us. They haven't been they in, were Entertainment Week- in
2: Entertainment Weekly. In Entertainment Weekly.
4: Yeah. Okay. So before we before we talk about that, um, who is this voice that's coming in in into our ears right now? Who's who's that talking, Sherry?
2: Uh, I am Sherry Sopheimer.
4: So Shiri is uh, a contributor to Geek Mom, and that's how we got uh, connected. She is a a brilliant, brilliant writer in her own right, Um, but she uh, is on right now this episode because of the guests that we talked to, and she was in the interview, so we brought her in to help us introduce them, but we're also going to have her kind of just, you know, chit-chat right now. Um,
2: I was going to say, I'm also a fantastic drunken Wookiee.
4: Uh, yes, Shiri is part And for those who don't get that, which is all of you um, We have We play uh, The Star Wars Edge of the Empire RPG um, Roughly like once a month Whenever we, we can get together There's eight of us, which is a big group But I don't think we've ever played All eight of us at once
2: No, because uh, it's eight of us in three time zones
4: Yeah, so we're spread out So I think the biggest group we've ever had was five at one time which was Which was a lot But we usually play like three to five um, and we're having a ball. Most of us are completely new. I think we've mentioned. I think I mentioned this before, haven't I, Justin?
3: I think so. Yeah. yeah. And you 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 live streamed one episode, I think, on we, Twitch we live and...
4: streamed. Well, yeah, we twitched the first couple, and we had like one viewer. I think you were. I think you were our <laughs> one would, viewer. That was it. One. So we're like, this just isn't worth the hassle. So we stopped doing that. We're just having fun doing it. But yeah, most but of we us are.
2: it. We did discuss it with uh, the guests because they also played rpg or are continuing to play
4: rpg that is true so yeah it, it did it did factor into this is not completely out, mm-hmm. of, out of out of left field because it did factor into our conversation that people will listen to later um but yeah so shiri mentioned entertainment weekly and i feel like we should probably talk about that yeah
3: well you know jamie you messaged me out of, out of the blue and i forget who the first per, first outlet to pick it up was but you were like man look this place is writing about us i forget who it was hollywood (laughs) no it was it was just a random
4: and i hate i don't mean to be mean i don't remember who the first one was it was just a random geek news website um and somebody actually one of the other geek dads uh said he stumbled upon it and saw that it mentioned the podcast so he shared it with me i said oh wow it's really cool somebody is listening to us Hollywood, somebody at Hollywood Reporter caught wind of our interview with Nicole Perlman a couple weeks back and uh, apparently listened to it and um, some of the things that she said about the upcoming Captain Marvel movie were I guess noteworthy, um, they thought, so they did a little post on us and Hollywood Reporter is one of those sites that A lot of other sites, geek news sites, will Mm -hmm. just grab the story and either cut and paste or just refer back to and write their own, do their own spin on it. Um, But what was nice was that they actually gave us a shout out. They didn't just say Mm -hmm. she was on a podcast or in talking to Geek Dad. They actually named the show. They said the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. And they linked back to our post with Nicole Perlman, which was, I thought, really cool. Because they didn't have to do that. I mean, they should have done that, but they didn't have to. Right, of course. Um, but yeah. then a lot of other sites, in picking up the story, did the same thing. They named us by show. So that was pretty cool. We were riding high for about a day, and a lot of lot of outlets picked it up. And then, like, the next day, Entertainment Weekly picked up the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Entertainment Weekly is a pretty big outlet, also. <laughs> and they're, they're they're big enough. Yeah. You know? So it was it was a fun two or three days you for know. us. You know, it was a, it was a we felt like people this was might have been worth it, and you know, people yeah. were listening, and we were getting a little bit of coverage. So it was a high point for us. Only hundred twenty episodes in. I gotta say, hearing, seeing the
3: attached video to the story and her and the, and the woman in the video was like, and as she said on the great big beautiful podcast, I was like. Yeah, she said it and didn't get it wrong. Yeah, (laughs) She didn't stumble over it.
4: You're right. That was one of the coolest parts is that one of those sites, it wasn't Hollywood Reporter, I forget who, one of those sites actually did create a video about it, and she did give us a shout out even in the video. So that was pretty cool.
3: That's pretty neat. Yeah, I'm all about tooting the horn. You know, you do this you do this thing and like i say this all the time you never know who's listening or where it's going yeah and it just proves that you never know who is listening you know somebody that can write a story about it and it gets picked up absolutely so we have some we have some new things to add to our media kit so maybe some sponsors can start paying us thousands of dollars wait are
4: we supposed to have a media kit (laughs) yeah maybe we should uh are we supposed to make one of
3: those I, I don't know. I don't think we've even been asked for one, so... <laughs> <laughs> never. We never
4: have. I mean, like we've said before, you know, sponsorships and making money off of this is not our priority, right. so... But yeah, maybe if, if we should get around was, to it.
3: If, if it import- was our priority...
4: Oh, sorry, go ahead. No,
2: that's what I say. The important question is, are you guys going to cover the hairstyle controversy? The Captain Marvel hairstyle?
4: Uh, No. Well, you know what, if if we get Brie Larson on the show, maybe we'll ask her what her hair looks like, but I'm not going to cover the controversy with anybody else. Justin, did you hear about that? No,
3: I actually didn't hear about that. I, yeah. I don't know if I want to. Well,
4: she did an interview. I, I guess it was, I'm assuming it was in an interview um and she made some comment that people are not going to be happy about her hairstyle captain like oh, carol danvers the the character's her hairstyle in the movie yeah. and of course people picked that up and they ran with it because why not um but really this is what we're caring about is what her hair right. looks like
3: right well and that's that's like in the editing for the show sometimes you know people say things um they <laughs> they say things or misspeak and you have to really watch what you edit when we edit the podcast because there was something that happened in the interview. Even I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to start anything. But yeah. I had to edit it because if that slip of slip of the tongue, yeah, you she, know, were to get out evidenced by the Hollywood Reporter uh, article. Yeah, in, in like, It would have caused a woohoo, you know what I mean? And it would have been over nothing.
4: <laughs> at the time, we were like, really? We need to edit this out? I, it's just, I don't think that it's going to matter. Yeah. And then after it got picked up by all those outlets, we were like, well, right. thank God we edited that out. Because that would have been a disaster. And then this hairstyle thing, it even <laughs> proves
3: it more. Right? So. <laughs> Alright. So Moving, to Moving
4: on. Moving <laughs> on.
3: so who were you guys talking to this week i wasn't here so i don't even know i'm i'm going to
4: quickly introduce and then i'm going to turn it over to sherry because she is there's a reason she is in on this interview so today uh we're talking to quote unquote james s.a corey um who is actually a pseudonym for two different authors daniel abraham and ty frank who um are most well-known as the writers and executive producers for the television adaptation of The Expanse. And now, Sherry, you can take it away.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> wow. It, it um, made for but, podcasting, but, folks. Right there.
2: <laughs> which, uh, for me, it was... Uh, although you'll hear them in, in the interview credit, Scalzi, uh, for me, The Expanse was what sort of brought me back to hard sci-fi. Um And uh, for a couple of reasons, Um, their science is really good. Uh, The effects of growing up in low gravity on the human body, the effects of gravity burn on the human body, um, and also they're incredibly strong female characters. And by strong, I don't necessarily just mean physically strong, although several of them are physically strong. I mean, they are these um, complete characters Mm -hmm. who have... History and things that they want and things that they don't like and things that are important to them and people they love and people they hate, which is often still missing from female characters in sci-fi. And that's all been adapted incredibly well to um, the TV show, uh, even to the extent of, of bringing a character up from the second book who to the first episode of the show, which was really cool and exciting um it's really good stuff they are a great writing team it was really interesting to listen to them uh talk about how they write together and how that process has changed between book one and book six um and i'm super excited there's going to be three more so the they're contracted now for nine um and the series just in my mind gets better with every book which is unusual usually by six things are starting to kind of fall off a little bit and the most recent one which came out i want to say last month but it may have been a couple of months months ago ago. yeah um is the babylon's ashes is i thought was the strongest one so far
4: which is saying something because there's so many books (laughs) in at this point i came um to the expanse through the tv show that was my you know first exposure to it and it just it blew me away you know sci-fi the channel um gets a lot of crap because a lot of what they put on is uh not up to you know anybody's real standards of quality um They've
2: turned it around in the last year, though, because there are a couple of... I know a lot of people like Dark Matter. I haven't watched it, but Killjoys is really good also.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, so Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, came out of nowhere. So sci-fi was this show that... This channel that had become known for sort of, like, these goofy, um, you know, Sharknado kind of things. And then Battlestar came out of... I I almost want to say it came out of nowhere, but it was this serious, deep sci-fi that was solid storytelling good acting and just and, and got a rabid following and then after that sci-fi kind of that coasted on the laurels for a long time and then they went back to the Sharknadoes um, and I feel like now they're trying to sort of get back into that again and The Expanse is is just solid, solid storytelling it is phenomenal mm-hmm. sci- television, uh, sci-fi TV um, yep. if you're not watching it the first season is on Amazon Prime if you have Amazon Prime here in the States Go watch it. You'll binge it. Um, it's, it's fantastic. The second season is on now. It just recently started. So I think we're, we're two or three episodes in. Uh,
2: it's the third week, but it's the fourth episode because they ran two the first night.
4: Okay. Um, so, yeah. I, we, obviously, not that I'm
2: counting. Not that you're counting, <laughs> but we
4: obviously um, we're fans. We recommend this. This is I mean, if you like the show, read the books. If you read that, if you like the books, watch the show kind of thing. Um, And we had a fantastic interview with both of them together. And like, like Shiri was saying, they, they write together, but it's kind of a different dynamic because they write under one name. You know, it's not like you're a writing team and both names are on the book and they, you split up duties and it's obvious. It's almost obvious when you read a book that, you know, this was written by this person and that was written by the other person. Like they've made a very um, concerted effort to write, with one voice together collaborating about everything and that's a big reason for why they write under this one pseudonym um mm-hmm. it's not that they're you know shy i mean i they, they like their privacy but it's not that they're trying to be secretive and, and say like oh no we don't write that and, you know like escape the public eye it's just that you know they have they have their own reasons but i think that that one name is very indicative of how they work together. and it's, it was just it was really interesting talking to them about that process.
2: Yeah, and if, if you do go read the books if you haven't yet clear your calendar because um, <laughs> I read through the first five in three weeks, which is about 3,000 pages straight through.
4: So there you go. That is how
2: good they are. There you go. That is how good they are.
4: Clear your calendar and your night shelf because it's a lot of of books. Or your iPad or whatever you read on because it's a lot of books.
2: They're all six, seven hundred pages. But it's it's worth the space, worth the memory space, worth the table space, worth the time. Um, It's really good stuff.
3: Awesome. So we're going to go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Would you
4: like me to uh, read aloud from *Ulysses*? I yes, guess. please. Just, just, just go. Page one. <laughs> All right. Daniel and Ty, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk. It's a pleasure to have you. Delighted to be here. Thanks for, thanks for giving us the invitation. Um, I, I wanted to start off. Basically, writing is notoriously solitary. You know, you t- we talk to, we talked to a lot of authors and writers and. You sit in front of the computer, your typewriter, your legal pad, or whatever your, your process is, and you're just by yourself with your ideas. But somehow you guys have made, managed to make it a little less so, a little less solitary. I'm just curious what your process is like for working together and how you split up the work.
0: Well, um, when we started off, the, the thing that Ty really brought to the project was that he had done all the homework. And, um, what I brought to it was that I had written some books and knew how that worked. So, um, initially the, the thing was that I kind of told him how books worked and he kind of told me how the story went. Um, and we would swap chapters. Um, I'd write the first draft of a chapter and then he'd write the first draft of the next chapter and we'd switch. And each of us would edit the other guy's work and put it on the back of the, master document, and then go play some Xbox. Um, (laughs) Since then, uh, we've we've both gotten a little bit better at understanding what the world is and a little bit better at writing books. So it's it's not as uh, regimented now as it used to be. And we both switched to PlayStation 4. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, that whole (laughs) Xbox One thing, unfortunately, scraped us right off. (laughs) I mean, how much
4: how much collaboration is it where the two of you sitting in the same room bouncing off ideas off of each other? How much of it is that versus you're each writing independently and then you come together and say, this is what I got. What
0: have you got? And then we kind of refine. Well, there's, there's some of both. We, we outline everything extensively before we start writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, it, it changes a little bit while you're working on it. Things uh, don't work well that, that you thought would or, or, um you come up with a a, something you feel like the the scene really needs and you put it in there and then everybody else gets a crack at it i mean if it's if it's terribly wrong ty will fix it for me (laughs) Do, do you guys ever disagree
4: about like the direction a story is going or specific aspects of a character
1: no not really um really yeah i mean we we talk it out ahead of time and and we we agree on what the coolest version is and uh you know daniel always says this that you know the biggest thing you have to do is agree ahead of time what the project is if you if you don't fundamentally agree what you're trying to accomplish then yeah you can never make it work yeah but as long as you as long as you agree on what it is the end product should look like then all the conversations are just um this is the version that most looks like we agreed it should look like and you know if you're if you're being honest you're not bringing a lot of ego to the table you know the other person has to say yeah you're right that is better that is more like what we wanted
0: yeah and and anytime you come into a collaboration like this just by walking in the room you have agreed that the final product is not going to look like what you would have done by yourself so that's not that's not a bug that's a feature
1: yeah we we get a lot of people ask us you know I, I get this on twitter sometimes people say i'm trying to collaborate with my friend but she keeps doing things i wouldn't have done so um how do you guys make that work and right there is your fundamental problem of course your partner doing things you wouldn't have done that's that's the benefit right. of having a partner um so if 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 you're expecting a person to do half the typing, but it's all exactly what you would have typed, then that's probably not going (laughs) to work.
4: I I feel like we should also clarify for anybody who doesn't know and is listening. So James S.A. Corey is a pseudonym. You are actually two different people. So surprise there to anybody listening. Um, What was the original
0: reason you guys
4: had for going that
0: route? the the route where we collaborate, or the route where we got a pseudonym? Or... Were you were
4: you were you collaborated under one name
0: as, as one pseudonym? Well, there were a couple of things about that. Um, I I have a, a thing about pseudonyms in general. I think that any time you spin up a new project, it is a kindness to the reader and a good strategy to let them know that it's uh, not like what they read before. And one of the best ways to do that is you put a different name on it. Mm. You know? Um, John Grisham writes legal thrillers Uh, Walter Mosley writes mysteries only of course Walter Mosley also writes a bunch of science fiction but nobody ever thinks of that because it's Mm -hmm. all under Walter Mosley he writes a mystery so when I'm writing epic fantasy it's under Daniel Abraham when I'm writing urban fantasy it's under MLN Hanover and when the time came to spin up um, space opera it made sense to a different label on that one and let everybody know that this was not going to be like what they saw before and the way you do that i think is you put a different name on it there's also a thing where uh we didn't want to have it look like we were tom clancying it and you know having somebody else come in and do all the work i put my name on it partly because that would seem really uh pretentious given how Non-Clancy-esque, my sales were before we started doing this. <laughs> We've been optimistic.
4: In light of the success of the Expanse, though, is there a part of you or of either of you that kind of regrets that you didn't use your real names?
1: Oh, my God, no. Really? No, not at all. No, no. I, I, I love having that that layer, that that even a, just a small barrier to to uh, somebody feeling like they know you personally is great. Um, one of the one of the really scary things about uh, writing and and it's true of acting as well is that is that uh, you'll meet people who have had a long and very meaningful emotional relationship with you because they've been reading your books and something in the book spoke to them and then you meet them and you realize that in their head, you guys already have had many meaningful dialogues on many topics that are important to them. Yeah. And this is your first meeting of them. Um, I, you know, I used to work for George Martin. He, a lot of strange things happened because, you know, people just assumed that they were his best friend uh, when they first met. And, you know, George is a sweet guy and he, t- he talks to all his fans and, and Daniel and I try to be very welcoming to fans, but there is there is something about just having even just a little bit of a buffer Um, between the writer and reader that that makes a little bit of that easier. Plus, uh, while I have always wanted to be rich, I have never wanted to be famous. Um, In the rich and famous diagram, uh, you want to go as far up the rich side as you can go while keeping the fame side as low as possible.
4: Yeah. That's funny. I never kind of put that together that the pseudonym, having a pseudonym could could um, increase that barrier to somebody feeling like they know you because I feel like with social media Twitter especially fans really do feel like they know personally these people that they follow you know even if you don't interact with somebody on you know with tweets or whatnot I mean just seeing photos of parties that people go to or their kids or whatever or just you know seeing what they retweet and they're putting their thoughts out there I it, it, it is kind of scary because it feels like, you know, as a fan, you're like, oh, yeah, I really know this person. Like, I, I know all their, you know, closest innermost thoughts. And so when you meet them in person at a, at a con or, or something, I would imagine that a lot of fans come up to people now like with a, with a much more casual approach, thinking that they, they know them personally
1: i mean and and that's actually okay i don't mind i don't mind the casual approach i i actually like when a fan comes up and just sort of says hey i remember when we chatted on twitter and we talked about that thing." <laughs> like that's fine i that that doesn't bother me at all it is the presumption of intimacy that can get a little creepy and the vast majority of fans never do that but you do occasionally run into somebody who comes up with this sort of presumption of intimacy that they are part of your life um and 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 can be deeply offended when they discover they are not (laughs) but if you want to come up to me in a bar and and say hey i bought you a beer and let's talk about that thing we argued about on twitter i'm totally fine with that
4: interesting okay
1: um
4: so i am really fascinated that the seeds of this story um kind of were born out of this rpg that you guys played together how how much of the books and the show now um can trace their roots back to that original storyline and how much is, has just changed beyond all recognition?
1: Well, a surprising amount of it is, is a direct line. Um, really? Obviously, the plot changed dramatically because uh, game plots do not make good book plots, mm-hmm. as everyone who has ever tried to write up their last D&D session of a fantasy novel knows. Um, there's, it doesn't, you, you do different things. Information control is handled in entirely different ways. Um, character developments handled in very different ways, but basic plot points uh, in you know the the sort of uh, inner planet versus outer planet solar system, the introduction of the proto molecule as as the game-changing uh, alteration to the to the human um, empires, all of those things are, were in the very 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 first version of this because they were actually in the the version that I was pitching. A game, a game company as an MMO. I mean, that was all part of the original build for that. So, it's been around for, at this point, you know, coming up on fifteen years, I think. Wow. We, it
4: never. So we have a we have an RPG right now. Um, we're in the Star Wars universe. It's not a universe we've created ourselves. Um, <laughs> but it, it never really occurred to me that an RPG for a writer could be a great way to really dive into this story that they've got. You know, flesh out plot points and characters. Um, would you recommend that approach? I mean, you say that story, the gaming story and a, and a fiction story on the page don't necessarily translate one-to-one, but it, for somebody who's got this sprawling epic rattling around in their brain, would you recommend trying to play it out with other people to see sort of how storylines develop, how characters develop?
1: Uh, I, honestly, the, I think the, the, the only thing that was really useful in playing with it, um, was testing out the world building. Okay. Finding the the places where where players felt certain aspects of the world building didn't make sense to them, um, because if if it doesn't make sense to your player, it probably isn't going to make sense to a reader either. And so early on, some things got modified because I realized it just didn't make sense the way I had developed it uh, for the game, and that was helpful. I don't know. I don't know if you can test a plot. I mean, Daniel. Do you think you could test a plot? I, I,
0: I don't think you can test a plot, but I do think you can test a character.
1: Sure. I think yeah. that. I mean,
0: the. Understand. We've we've played role playing games um, with a lot of writers, um, and one of the things that I have seen show up over and over and over um, in my writer friends are people who did uh, role playing games and people who did theater in high school, mm-hmm. um, and I think. That practice in um, pretending to be somebody else uh, serves you very well. Yeah. I think the probably the thing that you get the least advantage on is plot structure, uh, but world building, yeah, characterization, character arcs, um, what it's like to imagine yourself being somebody else, yeah. I mean, that's that's all great practice.
4: Yeah. How often when you guys are writing? Um, how often do you pull in scientific consultants? Do you, you just come up against something and be like, whoa, okay, we're entering a territory here where I don't really feel qualified to continue writing
1: until I talk to an, to an expert? In six books, it's happened exactly twice. Really?
2: So yeah. how did you guys get all the research on, on belter physiology and stuff? Did you do it yourselves?
0: Well, I have a biology degree. Yeah. Uh,
2: my,
3: my,
0: my bachelor's was in biology. And then okay. I went on to um, sell books and do frontline tech support for 10 years. So, uh, uh, this is really the only place that's ever uh, applied in my professional life.
4: So now I'm curious, what were those two times?
1: Uh, early on, um, in the first book, we describe, uh, the asteroid Eros, the entire thing going up two degrees. And I was just curious how much energy that would be. So, uh, somebody I knew who works out at Los Alamos Labs, I asked, and he did a sort of quick and dirty, you know, back of the envelope kind of calculation to come up with how much energy it takes to raise that much rock by two degrees. And that wound up, Naomi winds up doing that same quick and dirty calculation in the book. It's basically just directly taken from him. And then the one other time was Daniels with the ships. Yeah, I was, uh,
0: there was a, a moment in the fifth book when we had uh, a ship moving forward at 2g's accelerating at 2g's and had a thruster fire on the the front of it to put it into a spin mm-hmm. and it took several days and many conversations to really uh nail down what it would feel like to be in that ship when that happened <laughs> you know would you be thrown it's it, the ship's in a spin does that mean you're thrown against the wall yeah. is there is there uh, a uh, no, an angle because you're in the spin? What, how does that, you know, how does that feel? <laughs> and it turns out that was really hard to find out, and it totally informed about a sentence and a half of the book, and uh, no one will ever notice it. It's but but uh, I had fun.
1: Now <laughs> uh, to be fair, we did have one other thing. We called in a consultant. We had a really 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 complex math problem we needed to solve. So, of course, I called in uh, one of the most famous webcomic artists on the internet, and he did the math for me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> most of what I think he said was, yeah, that turns out not to be a trivial problem. Yeah,
0: and then, and then, <laughs> and then he did the math.
1: Yeah. So I, I, also, have, uh, I also consult with uh, famous webcomic artists.
4: Interesting. For math. For math. For math, of course, as you do.
2: <laughs> well, I can tell you guys, my, my husband appreciates your degree of medical research because I'm a nurse, and typically when physiology stuff comes into play in TV, I drive him crazy telling him how it's not right, and my... I am I am almost entirely silent when we're watching The Expanse, and as I've been reading it, I haven't, you know, thrown any of the books or anything, so he says wife, thumbs up.
0: My wife uh, is an occupational therapist and used to work at the hospital here, uh, which was why we couldn't watch House. <laughs> we could watch scrubs
4: though we couldn't watch house oh scrubs that was a good show well the first few seasons
1: but yeah Yeah, the first three seasons are some of my favorite tv of all time as
0: yeah. long as you understand that the show ends 15 seconds before the end of the third season finale <laughs> you're fine and just stop right there yeah stop right. There, and, it's
1: a, and it's perfect it's a perfect show it is perfectly satisfying it ties up all of the Emotional and plot threads. Tremendously satisfying. It's a perfect show. You just got to remember don't watch that last 15 seconds because it fucks it off.
0: <sighs>
4: See, I have no memory of what happens there, so now I'm kind of curious don't, to go back. don't, don't. To don't, don't. Yeah, <laughs> don't.
0: Okay, I won't do it. <laughs> when you rewatch, remember what we said. All right. It'll
4: be fun For my upcoming Scrubs rewatch marathon. <laughs> um, can you guys talk a little bit about. Um, The effects for the show and and how they're done, especially some of the more extreme cases.
0: Well, uh, let's talk about the the. You'll have to narrow it down for me because I mean. Let's talk about the scene
4: where they were uh, interviewing, questioning on Earth, and the effects of the gravity were pulling
1: that guy down. Oh yeah, that's um. They were they were still figuring out how to do sort of the elongation, uh, Bob's. Bob Munro, the visual effects supervisor, his crew uh, figured out how to sort of stretch that uh, person. He's, he's, he has actually a very tall, the actor is very tall and thin, um, but they put him on a, a green apple box to make him a little taller and then used the use visual effects to sort of stretch him out so that he filled all of the space and erased the green box. Um, it, it turned out to be very uh, cost prohibitive and... Performance prohibitive to do that very often.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: There are a few places we do it where it, where we get the most bang for our buck, but we we're we very quickly decided that performance was more important than than visual effects. So anytime it was going to interfere with the actor's ability to do the scene, um yeah, you know, naturally, we'd sort of got rid of it.
4: Yeah. Have you been mostly satisfied with how you know the world and not the world, the universe is coming to life? There, I mean, are, are the because you hear a lot of people say like, oh, you know, the 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 we're limited by the technology that we have. You know, I my the vision in my head can't play out really the way I want it to, but I'm happy with what we're able to do. I mean, do you find any of that, or are you just really
0: pleased with how it's it's coming together? I I like how it's come out. I mean, one of the things you have to Keep in mind is um, how you imagine things when you're reading and how you watch things are actually very different. Mm -hmm. You can have things, you can have a beautiful written description that doesn't actually, if you, if you, what you're reacting to is the language in it and you're reacting to the ideas in it. And if you're actually looking at a picture of it, it would not be the same experience. Right. I, I think if you actually had um, a bunch of actors who were six foot, oh my God, with great big heads, it would actually get a little distracting. Um, I, I, I think that this is the right approach for this medium, and just the way that the, the stuff we did in the books, I think, is the right approach for that medium.
1: Yeah, I mean, but this is a conversation that, that came up quite a lot early in the writer's room, is uh, Daniel and I talking about how it was very important to us that uh none of the cultures on the show and i, I think we lost somebody yeah did we, did we lose somebody she just
4: sent me an email she's she, i love how you just stopped mid-sentence she uh <laughs> yeah she uh, her computer just suddenly re- decided to reboot oh. so she's coming back
1: <laughs> so so yeah so one of the conversations we had quite often was how we didn't want any of the cultures in the story to be what daniel and i call monocultures. Mm-hmm. you know and and the, the the most egregious example of this is is early Star Trek, where you go to the planet of, of the people who like grapefruit and everyone on that planet loves grapefruit and they have their entire culture is based around the fact that everyone there loves grapefruit. Um, and no, and there's no dissenting opinion. There's no, there's no like anti grapefruit league on the (laughs) planet that's, you know, fighting to change their grapefruit laws. Like it's everybody, every culture believes all the same things, you know, Klingons are violent and angry. That's all they are. And And Vulcans are sinister and duplicitous, and that's all they are. Um, we really wanted to avoid that. And, and what we the shorthand part became the bumpy-headed alien syndrome. We wanted to avoid the bumpy-headed alien syndrome. And one of the things that came out of that conversation was that even if we had the technology to make every belter six foot eight, super skinny, with a large head, in some ways, we would wind up with bumpy-headed culture, like a bumpy-headed alien mm-hmm where now somebody being tall, skinny and having a bad head is just shorthand for everything that is Belter. Yeah. And it and it takes away from some of the nuance of it. And so by having a wide variation in the looks of the Belters, it allowed us to, to sort of show that the Belters aren't all just one thing either. There are a lot of different things. There's many tribes of them that have very different beliefs and very different goals and, and strategies for accomplishing those goals, which is really important in the show. Um, so by sort of erasing the shorthand, we keep people from, from making you know the, the quick and easy assumptions and force them to deal with the, the more complex version of the culture.
4: I mean, it's interesting. Has, has seeing you know kind of going along with that though, has seeing how some of this plays out and some of the changes that were made for the screen to make a, just a better viewing, has any of that changed the way that you're that you approach the writing?
0: We are putting a lot of effort and energy into not crossing those streams.
4: Really? Okay. Uh, now these
0: are these are two different projects, and the tools that we wind up using with one, we use because they are appropriate there, mm-hmm. and uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. I mean, the, the part of the point of writing a book is doing something that you you get an experience you couldn't have gotten watching it on TV. So um, then going on to film, it's kind of a weird. Choice, but you know it seems to be working well, um, and yeah, the 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 effect that we're going for in both versions of the story is the same, but the the tool set and the decisions in order to create that uh, they 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 don't overlap a whole lot. Yeah,
4: are you trying to not cross the streams with the 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 galaxy that you're writing about and setting up and you know current political climate and what's playing out in real world earth, or are you allowing some of those things to sort of affect each other? You
1: you, you got to remember that when a book comes out, Daniel and I were writing that, you know, in in some cases two years before that. Yeah. So a book will come out and people will go, oh, this character in this book is clearly uh, based on this current character that everybody's talking about and when we started writing that book nobody was talking about that person um so i think a lot of what happens is you sort of read into it uh that it must be based on current events even when there was no way that it could be having said that though you know i mean obviously we both live in this world so uh things that happen in the world are going to show up even if it's just subconsciously subliminally it's going to show up in in the work that we're doing
0: yeah when when you're when you live in uh a particular you know a time that that's concerned with uh race and inequality and um power uh, you wind up with opinions about that and you can't really write something that that doesn't become informed by your lived experience with that
1: right yeah and it, weirdly and for completely different reasons daniel and i both became people who are very aware of sort of uh race issues in america from the aspect of guys who both code as white um is daniel grew up in a place where uh there's a white minority so um he grew up in a place where you couldn't be a white supremacist if you wanted to survive and so he, you know <laughs> You just grew up in a, a a world that didn't really have that sort of culture, and um, my mother is Hispanic, and I and I totally look white, so I grew up hearing all the racist comments about Hispanics, direct you know said to me, because people assumed it was safe to say those things to me because I looked as white as they did, mm-hmm. not knowing that I had family at home that was exactly the kind of person they were currently bashing, so. So I think we're both kind of, for completely different reasons, wound up having a lot of early development include that sort of conversation about race yeah. and ethnicity, and so uh, what you know I created the Belters in the very 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 early versions of this to sort of be my conversation about ethnicity and 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 tribalism and. Daniel then joined in and had no problem with it. He was like, "Yeah, no, that's totally been my experience too." Um, let's yep. let's engage with that. So, um, yeah, for we we took different paths to get to the same place, but we did want to the same place.
0: And it's it's really nice being able to do this in a science fiction universe where we get to talk about the ideas of uh, tribalism and ethnicity and separation of culture without actually, you know co-opting anybody's
1: actual culture you know uh yeah yeah, absolutely i mean that that's really important you don't want to you don't want to turn somebody else's lived experience into uh props for entertainment that's a that's a really dangerous thing to do and and neither of us have any interest in doing that but the the idea of tribalism is something that uh you know i mean it's a hot topic in our world and has been since let's be honest the last 150,000 years that humans humans existed but but you know i mean it's we're just becoming much much more aware of it and it's much more front and center in our sort of our cultural conversation and it's a thing we wanted to to talk about um without again without co-opting somebody else's pain to turn it into our Amusement, our amusement.
4: Well, that's that's the power of science fiction, though, right? I mean, that's you can create your own race and your own type of people, but tell very relevant and, and immediate and personal stories. I mean, you, the, no, mono, you the mono the monoculture did, like you said, grew out of this Star Trek thing, you know, where it was an entire planet of people who liked, you know, like you said, grapefruits, or they liked pleasure, or they liked whatever they liked. Um, but one of the lasting influences of that show was that you know. They they did try to tackle these more these bigger larger more serious social issues and that's I think the power they, of science
0: fiction even today. They I did, think. but it was it was. I mean, I think early Star Trek, especially, was um, it's allegorical. Right. That's that's the the idiom that it was using, um, and the stuff that we're doing with the Expanse, and I think the stuff that was going on with uh, Battlestar, um, is. Reaching for a much more grounded and and realistic um, idiom, but but uh, no, I, I have nothing against the the allegories early on too. Uh, those those did a fine job for what they were doing.
2: Talk to us a little bit. I'm back by the way. Sorry, my computer just decided to spontaneously shut down because um, <laughs> it is not an awesome giant laptop. Um, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about why the does this play into the belters having a specific language that's sort of a big conglomeration of other languages that essentially they only they understand unless you know somebody has spent time studying it
1: yeah that that is i mean initially uh, i so one of the earliest things i wanted to do um with with this um and it's partially it was partially economic when when I was asked to pitch this idea for an MMO, the company I was pitching to was uh, was a Chinese company. So it was very, I was very aware of the fact that the storyline could not be white men in space. Um, and that we it had to be very multicultural and it had to feel like uh, anyone from any background could feel like they were represented in this future. Uh, so that was that was an, a big part of the early development. And, and I actually just like that version better anyway. I, I, I like the version where we get a lot of cultures and, and a lot of blending and mixing. Um, Then uh, I had been reading a book shortly before that. I don't remember what it was, but it talked about the Greek fisherman's language. And I I became very interested in this, that that you had this this area of the world where people from were all fishing the same seas, but they were from completely different cultures. They had completely different languages. And what wound up happening was they wound up with this mishmash language that they all sort of understood that used words from all of their languages. And nobody outside of the people who were you know, fishermen in this part of the world had any idea what that language was. It was, it was, very, it was a very situational language. Um, and I just loved the idea of that. So uh, that wound up being sort of the idea for Belter, is that you had people all coming out to work in the Belt, these miners and, and, and industrial workers coming out there. And they were from every area, region on Earth. And they all came with their own languages. And they would have to develop some way to communicate with each other. And this sort of mishmash of all of their languages is what comes out of it, sort of like the Greek fisherman's language did. did. Um, so that's where that initially came from. And then when we were going to do it for TV, they hired a linguist to, to codify it and make it more, uh, more concrete. And they also hired a dialect coach who worked with the actors to try to come up with accents that were not immediately identifiable as a single accent, that they were they were blends of multiple accents. Um, and and of course, because we have actors and they only have so much time to do this, they all kind of wind up sounding different, but we actually liked that, that it sounded like, you know, everybody kind of can speak Belter and everybody has kind of a similar accent, but the people from Palace Station and the people from Hygieia Station would have different versions of that accent. And that is actually great. Um, we like that a lot because when a lot of people don't understand how big these things are, look at the belt. It's like one place. Why do the belters have different accents? It's like the belt is stretched out across a, a, a vast expanse of the solar system beyond even imagination how wide it is. So if somebody who lives in Palace Station and somebody who lives on Ceres are further apart than any two humans have ever been in history. Um, so, the fact that they wind up with slightly different accents, uh, maybe that's just realistic.
0: <laughs> but quite a, why doesn't everybody on Earth speak with the same accent? Well, uh, funny thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just actually talking about this on Twitter, you know, people are like, well, you know, we're seeing these Martians and one Martian has a West African accent and one Martian has like a New Zealand accent and another Martian has has uh, a Texas accent. I'm like, yes, because it, Mars is gigantic. It's a big place. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, everybody wants when you get to sci-fi everybody wants any named place to be all one place and it just doesn't work that way
4: um sherry now that you're back i know you had a couple questions about the female characters i want i want you to get those in Oh, Kitty.
2: so talk to us a little bit i have to tell you that bobby draper is one of my favorite not just female characters but one of my favorite literary characters ever so thank you for her
3: well, thank you. Um,
2: and talk to us a little bit about how she and Naomi and Ava Sorala, where they came from, and if there were any particular historical or literary models you used, or people you know, um,
0: or they just <laughs> okay. Came so Daniel, to you. tell
1: them about where Vassarella came from.
0: Okay, <laughs> so. Uh, um... I'm going to go back and, and, and walk into this. Um, <laughs> Leviathan, in Leviathan, we had two male protagonists and we, we we went out of our way to make sure that the the there were women in positions of power uncommented in Leviathan. So we had uh, Yao uh, on the Donager. We had Shadid on Ceres. Um, we wanted to have that be part of the world. But because we had uh, just male protagonist it didn't always read and didn't always come through um so when we came to book two part of what we wanted to do was was kind of tack against that impression so we took um three very kind of gendered roles and we swapped them we had you know the warrior who was traditionally rambo um we had the politician who is usually a guy and we had uh the the mother with the lost child who's usually a girl and we swapped them all abbasarala was um obviously our politician character and that was kind of during the early part of the obama administration when rahm Emanuel was very popular and i thought well what if rahm Emanuel was a girl <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah you know, he actually said those words out loud <laughs> So yeah, that that was you know. If you wonder, well, why does she, why does she use language the way she does? You gotta talk to you gotta talk to Ram. It's all about him. <laughs> you know, if Ram Emanuel was a uh, an, a little East Indian grandma, yeah, uh, she'd be Avicella.
1: Yeah, and Bobby, Bobby. Uh, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with the 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 Jack Reacher books. I mean, they've they've had the movies with with Tom Cruise. Um, who doesn't look anything like that? But in the Jack Reacher books, Jack Reacher is such a a boy power fantasy. He's like six foot five and he's like two hundred and fifty pounds, and he's a master of every martial art, and he he can use any kind of gun, and he's he's a so total badass. And and anytime he gets in a fight, he just destroys whoever he's fighting with. And I was like, what if Jack Reacher was a girl? <laughs> like like the 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 character who's physically intimidating has absolutely no doubt that she's gonna win a fight if she gets in a fight. So she's not picking fights because she doesn't have to, because she does not care. Um, and is the absolute professional, like the Navy SEAL, knows how to do all the cool, awesome tech stuff for the military. Um, but isn't just a boy with a girl's name, actually has some feminine aspects, actually is engaged with, uh, her, you know, how she perceives herself and and uh, how she perceives her gender, and and just trying to make that work, trying to balance those two things. And I, I I'm happy to hear that it worked for you because, you know, when we were doing it, it was a little nervous making. Can can we make that character work? Can will will people can, buy that? <laughs> can we speak authoritatively about what it would be like to be a woman? Was uh, like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> be, but sure. Uh, and and I mean, to be fair, both Daniel and I are are married to very successful, uh, you know, self-starting, uh, women who are, you know, uh, my wife is finishing up a PhD in engineering at Cambridge university. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I live in the house with somebody who knows how to get shit done and, and isn't scared <laughs> of, of, you know, boys telling her what to do. So I could kind of pull some of that experience in and stuff it into Bobby a little bit. Um, Yeah.
4: That being said, though, there's still got to be that moment that you're writing these characters, and you, you feel like you've done them justice, and you feel like you've presented them in a, in a in a as best as you can. But once you release it to the world, the fans are going to do with it as they will. I mean how how nerve-wracking was that really for you to to put these stories out there with these real badass women and I mean not really knowing how significant they were going to become or how much people were going to latch onto
1: them or not. We had one reviewer who hated Bobby, thought it was the worst part of that book. Thought it, was a real yeah, thought it was a real mistake on her part. And I totally discounted it because it was a boy. I
2: think, was, <laughs> was going to ask, was it a dude? <laughs>
1: yeah, it was a dude. I but have so, yet to
2: talk part, to a single woman who doesn't love Bobby who's read the books. There, there,
0: there, there are women out there who do not love Bobby. Um, there, and, and the fact of the matter is, once you have gotten to a certain level of sales and just a certain level of kind of market penetration out there, uh, there's going to be somebody out there who hates any given aspect of any given book. Um, every book we write is the best book we've ever written. It's the worst book we've ever written. It's a sad disappointment from the last time. It's a triumphant return to form. Every <laughs> single one. Yeah. All the time. Um, and and I think I stole that one from Joe Abercrombie, right?
1: Is that where I got that? No, I... What's
0: that? Was that analysis? Was, was that Joe's or was that yours? That was mine. That was yours. Yeah, it. no, I, I
1: I said it to Joe, and he it, we, we had a conversation. I
0: knew it. he was involved somewhere. Yeah, but again, no, every, it's it's if you go out there wanting universal uh, acclaim and universal uh, approbation for the decisions you've made, you really just want to give it to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> so when but when it came time to, to cast them. You know, and to sort of put a face to the name and a face to the character that people, after they watch the show, are probably gonna have in mind if they go back to read the books. Um, what specifically were you
1: looking for with those characters? Well, it's. Uh, I mean, there's levels to that. Obviously, you want a great actor. You want somebody who can really pull off the. I think. I think her computer just rebooted. She's, she's frozen. Oh no! I <laughs> am. Okay. Oh, okay, you're back. Okay. Uh, anyway, so, I mean, there's, there's multiple things that you want. You want a great actor. You want somebody who can really deliver on the part. But for us, for Daniel and I, I mean, there's other things that we wanted. We wanted to make sure that the, the, the sort of multicultural aspect of the books didn't get lost. And, you know, I'll just use Avastrol as an example. Um, when we first started talking about casting, if keep in mind this is super early in the process. We're, we haven't even written scripts yet. I mean, the only the pilot script exists in a very early form. And and we've just hired our showrunner, Noreen, and we're just starting to have conversations about how to how to make the show and, and how to cast it. And then you have producers that are in part of the studio, and, and they start floating names. And, of course, everybody had very early on agreed that Voss should be part of the show from the very beginning. And so then somebody's like, oh, yeah, what if we got like a, a um, Sigourney Weaver type? And I was like, well, I love Sigourney Weaver. I think she's a fantastic actress. I would love to work with her on something, but she's not Indian. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I really, I, 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 we can't do that. We, you know. And in fairness, neither is Sure. Neither, neither is um,
0: We didn't wind up um, in a place where we kept every character in the, the books. The same ethnicity as they were in the books, but we we pushed to keep it mixed. So, you know, Shorey is is Persian. Yeah. Um, Admiral Souther um, is is a black man in the show. He was white in the books. Um yeah. Havelock is played by a Hispanic actor, and um, there's uh, not a one to one match, but having especially the main characters and the, the kind of core of the show represent
1: more than one ethnicity
0: uh, that was kind of critical
1: yeah so it was it was really important that to, to get uh, that early on that everybody agreed to that and and to their credit they did you know uh, Sharon Hall who was the president of the studio when we were developing the show Absolutely engaged with that idea, totally agreed with us, um, would backed us on that even when we had to fight a little bit. Narain Shankar, our showrunner, who is an Indian man himself, um, absolutely agreed that we needed to keep the multiculturalism and and so it was it was it was a fight we had a couple of times, but it was never a big fight.
0: And the 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 thing is we all know, we all understand that the thing that has to come before anything else is uh, the performance you yeah. have to have good actors and you know if you have a part that that is uh, something and you have a, a, an actor who comes in who is white and is the right actor and does the right performance, yeah that's 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 the one you want um, There are also a lot of really awesome actors out there who are ethnicities besides white and we have a bunch of them (laughs) shocker
1: and 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 really the only thing you have to do is is take the time to to dig through the the casting agent rolodex to find the people who are not at the top of that list you know and 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 like daniel said the great actors who are not white and and who have are sitting down in the list and you just got to make them dig down and find them um because, you know, everybody's just trying to do their job as quickly as they can. And, you know, the top 10, 10 names in everybody's list is always the people you see all the time. And it's always the sort of blonde white people that you always see on TV. And 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 it's not because they're racist. It's not because they only want to hire white people. It's just because that's the top 10 people in their list. And you just got to say, you know, go go down. Go down to the people who are not in the top 10. And let's see if we can find somebody who's not the blonde white guy. Um, and And to their credit, you know, the casting agents, Dug in and worked with us on that and, and, and committed to doing that. And we got, got some, a great cast out of got it. Got some great people. Yeah.
2: It took you guys a while to find Frankie Adams, right?
0: Well, I mean, that was a huge ask, right? <laughs> <laughs> you like to have a six foot small <laughs> woman who's really attractive and physically intimidating. <laughs> um, and we had a lot of people who read for that role, and some of them were very good um and uh but you know they were four foot six and that then doesn't matter how good <laughs> that it's or know.
1: or they were six feet tall and they were a runway model so they were stick fit yeah and and you know that was we had we had some people read who were fantastic and they were and they were like hey they're six feet tall they they did a great reading it's like that's all of that is true but i don't believe for a second that that person is wearing 100 pounds of martian armor and kick an ass like I, I like it just it, it, the minute she took her armor off, it would be laughable um <laughs> uh, and 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 that's the other thing is is getting outside of traditional Hollywood thinking is is actors are driven uh then this is a terrible fact of Hollywood actors are driven to be very thin and and so finding somebody like Frankie who has some real physicality to her who
0: is strong who is
1: strong and and uh is believable in a part like that um can be a little tricky when you're dealing with the normal the normal hollywood uh types that you that you have access to but you know she was a she was a boxer so you know she had some she had some meat on her she had some uh, believability to when she did physical things you believed she was doing them
0: and you we you do have the advantage uh when you are looking for some that kind of very specific very difficult role to fill that if you do find an actor who who fits the bill? They're probably unemployed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, when you find the six foot tall Samoan woman who was formerly a boxer, um, yeah, she's not drowning under offers from other shows. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't before anyway. <laughs> See, well, I'm sure she will be now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we 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 may have changed her career path, but you know I mean, she's fantastic. And with the one thing that everybody said, all the producers said is that she's the kind of face you never see. And everybody loves her. I mean, they, like she's just, she's so charismatic on camera and she looks great and, and totally believable. And she's just not what you see. And and she
0: has a range as an actor
1: that covers all of the things we needed from Frankie. And that's
0: that's another huge ask. I mean, Frankie. Uh, Bobby. Oh yeah, sorry, Bobby. Yes. Bobby's going from a place where of she's got to be able to have this this real strength. She's got to have this real vulnerability. She's got to have this real confidence. There's, there's a lot we're asking from, from Frankie taking that on. And it turns out she can do that. So that was, that was great.
4: Um, switching gears, just a couple for, for a couple of minutes. What made you guys, um, i guess decide on the norm the the normalization of of having sex work in this in this galaxy i mean i understand that it provides backstory and it gives it sort of fills out the 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 worlds and and the characters experiences a little bit but uh it's a very important aspect to the books um and it plays into the show and i'm just wondering
1: what your thought process was behind that
2: and it plays into one of the main characters
4: yeah
1: yeah so so several things one um I I personally believe we should not stigmatize sex workers. Um, I I, I think part of that is making sure that people who choose that profession are safe and are not uh, um, abused or or, uh, kidnapped or taken advantage of. I mean, all of those things have to be true. Obviously, we don't have that yet. But I think in a world where people can choose that that lifestyle safely um, and and of their own accord. I don't think we should stigmatize people for that. I think we stigmatize sex too much. On top of that, though, one of the things that you see in poverty is that at a certain point, people will run out of things that they can uh, sell to survive. And the last thing you have is your physicality, is your body. Having said all of that, though, one of the things that was super important for us is that it could not be only one gender is sex workers. It could not be only one gender mixed use of sex workers. Um, and that uh it had to feel like it was it was everything. So like when, when uh very early on in the in the first season, um they were setting up and casting for uh the the brothel that uh Gia works at, the one where um somebody got murdered and, and they go in to talk to her, um, on the day, so they had they had this scantily clad woman sitting in the in the lounge uh, at the front of the the brothel and on the day i said where are the boys because uh, i was the onset producer I said, there needs to be boys in here and everybody kind of looked at each other because nobody had thought of that and we went and grabbed one of the guys who was supposed to be playing a john who was very <laughs> who was very attractive and, and and had great hair and a nice build and i said take that guy's shirt off and put him in the lobby
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so we so that's what we wound up doing and people came to understand that it can't just be, it can't just be what we, you know, what we typically see with the, the girls are sex workers and the boys are the Johns, and it, it couldn't be that. Um, and I'm I'm hoping we can get some, uh, you, you know, in the future seasons, I would love to get some ambiguity. I would love to get some people, you're not sure what gender they are. You're not sure. I mean, like, I would love that uh, mm-hmm. to really show the, the full spectrum rather than just sort of the, the version we typically see on TV.
0: And there's also, I mean, part of, part of the reason to include it at all uh, besides, you know, the, the, the basic idea of not stigmatizing folks who are in that line of work um, is you're building a world where the idea of uh, workplace romance is kind of weird because your workplace romance is going to be on a ship with a bunch of people for weeks on end um, or months on end or sometimes years. Um, And, how that impacts human relationships and sexuality that's one aspect of of the world building i think underneath all of it yep
4: you mentioned something there that it's it's interesting and it's not many writers get to number one see their their words come to life in a successful really well done show or movie but even fewer get to be on set and be able to make changes like what you mentioned there. Like this, this is not right. We need to have a guy in this scene too. You know, I think that, that must be incredibly gratifying for when you finally do see the, the, the finished product and you say, okay, I was like, that's me through and through.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's not, it's never us through and through it's, it's always us and a whole lot of other people. Um, you know i mean I, there was a casting agent who was casting all those people that were in that scene there is a, a a production designer designed the look of those sets there was a director who was designing what the the shots would look like and how to photograph it there were there were actors who were perf- doing performances who were making decisions i mean so i mean it, you really have to engage with the idea that it is a group activity and everybody's yeah. going to put their piece in there it's nice to be available to say this is not what i would do this is not the vision that i had and here are my reasons why and because we have uh, you know narain who's very open to uh to notes from people and and to talking it out and because uh uh mark and hawk who wrote that pilot episode and who are executive producers on our show are also very open to those sorts of conversations i could approach the three of them and say hey guys this isn't right i can we can we change this and then, because they have the actual power to make changes, they said, "Oh, yeah, actually, that—that that, you're right. We, we should do that." Um, but you can never look at any scene and say, "That's all me. I did all of that." Yeah. And
0: and and a lot of the power that we have is not um, authority, but um, access. Access. And the, we we are we are essentially lobbyists for our own artistic visions. <laughs> um, but yeah, that this is this is uh, a hugely collaborative effort. And I guess that's what I meant. I, I didn't I didn't mean that you had the uh
4: final say on everything. I meant that you had that access. I mean, most writers don't have that sort of on-set access to be able to even suggest like, "Oh, I think maybe we should be doing this slightly differently."
0: And it turns out that's I mean, not not to uh not to speak ill of my uh profession, generally speaking, having folks like us on set or this involved is a terrible plan. <laughs> um <laughs> We like you said. We, I mean, we, we're we're we are used to being the final uh, word on things because we're we're writing it. Um, we're used to having the vision that we have be what defines our role and and uh, gives us importance. And giving that up is not easy. Um, I think I think in this case we were really well served by having had it be a collaboration from the beginning it made it much easier to to
1: relinquish that control and trust other people to come play well yeah you got it that's that's the right word you got it you have to trust that the other people want to make something good um, we were lucky in that we got to work with Mark and Hawk and Lorraine right from the start and so by the time we were actually making things you know making set designs and casting actors and and writing scripts and all that you know, uh, I think the five of us all sort of implicitly trusted that the the other four also wanted to make something good. Um, so you you don't feel like you have to you know run in and double check their work all the time because uh, good. And that we could be wrong
0: about our own story. You mm-hmm. have to we you know we we could go in there and say well we did it like this and they could go but it would be better like this and you have to go oh yeah no it would that would be better. <laughs>
1: or that because the simple fact is books and and tv shows are very different and we made a lot of choices in the books that are not good tv choices i mean the one i my joke version of this i use it all the time is is in the books we have chapters where the entire chapter is basically miller in all alone in his room <laughs> drinking whiskey and feeling bad about the direction his life has gone that's a terrible episode of home. <laughs> like, nobody wants to watch that. So, you have to find some other way to show that other than interior, you know, monologue while he drinks whiskey in his room.
2: And so, that said, there's a difference in the Rosinante's crew dynamic between the Leviathan and the show. How did that come about?
0: Well, a lot of that was uh, trying to find the tools that television has to to uh, display character. I mean, when you're when we're writing it in the books, we have a lot of description, we have a lot of exposition, we have um, a lot of uh, internal monologue and internal thought that we get to use to tell you who these characters are and. And what's important about them, and um, none of that, is stuff you can use in the television show. You have to have stuff that
1: people can perform. Yeah, and and one of the things they, the people who had actually made scripts before said uh, right from the start, is is you know you got to give these people somewhere to go. Um, it, it very quickly becomes tedious if you start in one place and you stay in that place. Mm. By start by backing their relationships up a little bit starting them out at the beginning of those relationships rather than halfway through them you could show how they got to the place where they get and I mean it, it, watching at the tail end of the first season and now uh, the you know having seen the second season watching Amos develop that trust for Holden um is great it's great TV you know and yeah. you know in the book he just started out knowing that Holden was that guy he already knew that and you know, that was fine for the book, but but getting to watch that happen on TV is is really cool, and and it gives the actors something interesting to do.
2: <laughs> has,
3: go ahead. Ah! No, go ahead.
2: <laughs> has um has writing the scripts changed the way you guys are writing the books going forward at all?
0: No, no, it really it I it really hasn't. Um, those skill sets are so different and um, the parts of the project are so different coming. We're, we're working on um, season two, which is like part of Caliban, you know, a lot of Leviathan wakes a lot of Caliban's war. Um, We're five books down the road dealing with characters who have gone through a bunch of other stuff and a bunch of changes that are in a very different place. So there's uh there's some space in there that lets us keep those processes
1: different well and and if you're asking I mean uh, that's the story answer I mean if you're asking technical for the technical answer no they're very different styles of writing and we're much better at writing books than we are at writing screenplays so uh no I mean we just we've 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 written three that have been produced uh that's not a lot you know I mean I I think Noreen has written something like a hundred so So we're still learning how to do that in a way that we are not learning how to write books.
4: (laughs) Pulling back, um, getting from to to look at this from the bigger picture, um, not not just specific stories, but generally, why for and for both of you, you might have different answers for this. But why do you write, just in general? And if you weren't a writer, what would you be doing?
0: Yeah, boy, do we have very different answers on that. um uh okay i i write um primarily as a way to combat the absurdity of human existence and distract myself from my own immortality so um yeah i mean it's it's glib and funny but on the other hand you know uh yeah if i wasn't doing this i would be doing this i was doing this before they paid me i will continue doing this after they stop paying me this is this is kind of what I do. Um,
1: it's just, it's just a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my glib answer is the reason I wrote a book is because Daniel said, Hey, do you want to write a book? <laughs> um, I, I don't know that I'm sort of like a writer in the way that Daniel's a writer and that he is compelled to write. But the thing I am compelled to do is, is tell stories. Um, and as long as I, as long as I have an audience for, for storytelling, um, that satisfies my needs. So, so I get the same exact high off of, you know, running a a D and D session that I would get off of publishing a novel. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's great that I'm publishing novels, but when I stop publishing novels, I'll probably just go back to running D and D games and (laughs) I'll I'll feel exactly the same. (laughs) As long as, as long as I can make up stories and then tell other people those stories, uh, I'm fine
4: and before we let you go I have one last question for you um, we, we try not to get too political on this show but it's kind of impossible <laughs> impossible to do um, I'm just curious to get your opinion what will art look like for the next four years I mean are you guys in the Amanda Palmer school like this is going to be a new golden age for punk rock and resistance art, resistance art or do you think we're just it's going to be a lot darker
0: a lot darker than punk
4: rock and resistance <laughs> art <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not putting it (laughs) past
0: the next four years. (laughs) Um, I, I think the next four years are going to, um, involve a lot of people trying to explore who and what they are and what they think. And, uh, some of it will be good and some of it will be crappy and some of it I'll agree with. And some of it I'll think is wrong headed. Um, I don't know that uh, I can celebrate hard times and insecurity as an opening for the muse. Uh, I'm not sure that 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 may be a little romantic um, for me, but um, I think certainly the kinds of things we're going to see people engaging with Moving forward are the kind of things that scare and move and uh, frustrate them. And there's going to be plenty of room for being scared and moved and
1: frustrated. It's a great I'm awesome. not going to argue with Amanda Palmer.
4: No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I have met her on two separate occasions. I'm not arguing with her. <laughs> Fair enough.
4: Daniel Atai, thank you guys so much for your time. It's I know we went much longer than we said, so man, I
0: really appreciate it. I didn't know we said.
3: Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so when we had Jonathan Frakes on the show, do you remember when he pitched his sci-fi show idea? You remember, Jamie? You don't remember that? Okay, so he pitched us. No. He pitched a new show idea. Uh, okay, and it was a half-hour sitcom of him and Deanna Troy, with their adopted son Data. Oh, the Rikers! Yes, the Rikers! Yes, <laughs> that could be a great sitcom. Oh my story. God, I would pay okay. a
4: lot of money to watch the Rikers, <laughs> <laughs> like Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sardis today with like you know teenage children. Yes. Yes, I would absolutely watch the Rikers. But it would have to be
3: in like Kardashian style, I think. Like mm-hmm. Kim
4: Kardashian, not. <laughs> no, oh, like I thought you meant like the Kardashians from Star, Kardashians Trek. From Star yeah, Trek. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> Reality TV uh, empath teenagers.
4: Oh my god. Yes. Could you like imagine beautiful, empathic beautiful teenagers? Disaster. Empathic teenagers? What a nightmare.
3: Huh?
4: <laughs> Troy's kids? Oh my god. What a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs>
3: growing up with our social media and
4: technology oh yeah that should be good that'd be good yeah I don't know what how do I think, forgot what? that though because he was pretty excited about it too
3: he was and he, he he was hoping that it would take the place of the new Star Trek coming out yeah so I don't know we'll
4: see we'll see if that happens if this is I guess if discovery <laughs> is successful um, he'll have a second shot maybe he can pitch the Rikers to like Netflix <laughs> to Netflix or something
3: <laughs> so you guys did a great job. Oh, thanks yeah, fantastic thanks. you're welcome and this is one of those times where it's so much better to have, to have someone in on the interview that is a big fan and knows everything about the the people and this is what we're doing this is why we do it so it's great i'm really happy
4: yeah sherry bravo here
3: cheering.
2: it was really fun I, I i did feel like a total dork at a few points but you know, I guess it's nice to know that people appreciate the stuff you're putting effort into, right?
4: Absolutely. You trust me, if you've wa- if you've ever been to a convention and you've listened to the Q&A panel or if you've watched something yeah. online, they're cringeworthy. These people who so, ask questions.
2: I ran a QA and a panel yeah. at New Jersey Comic Expo this year. Yeah, the people who step it's up to horrible. the microphone?
4: Cringeworthy.
3: <laughs> well that i mean it's so bad that even uh jonathan frakes and brent spiner have have a go-to for when people ask the question what it was it like working with uh patrick stewart That they get asked it so
4: many times they have like a
3: drama they do together do they really <laughs> that's awesome
4: well, that's funny because, again, I don't know why we're, we keep talking about Frank so much. But I remember when we were talking to him, we asked him, what was the question you're asked the most? And that's what he said is, what was yeah. it like yeah. working with Patrick Stewart? And, and what are you yeah. going to say? It was awful? The guy's an asshole? Right. <laughs> what if he was, though? Oh, I imagine? know, right? Could you, like, I... my, like, sh- like my, my, my image would be shattered if, that, if he, like, he I was know. really re- No, I've nice. got to say, I've met him. I've handed him something to sign. He was the sweetest man ever, so I, I refuse to believe he was—he's a—he's a bad guy.
3: <laughs> no matter still, what happens.
2: I'm still crossing my fingers that we're going to hear about some Logan press stuff for uh, Emerald City next week.
4: Oh, that'll be exciting. Logan yeah. does look—I'm trying to think of what the what the best word would be—but it, it looks better than it has any right to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, re- advanced reviews that I've been hearing. The word is yeah. that it it's living up to the hype.
3: Exactly. Yeah. I, I have a friend who got to see one of the press screenings in Austin and he he was saying it's the, the honestly the Wolverine movie that we've been waiting to see. If you're a big Wolverine oh, fan, like you've been waiting God. to see it. So
2: a, he, another, he another well known uh geek outlet gave it four and a half burritos, which I don't think I've ever seen them give anything before. Wow.
4: Four and a half burritos. Four and a half. Gee, I wonder who that was.
2: I wonder. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I've never seen four and a half burritos before, so I was impressed.
4: Wow.
3: I'm excited. Well, hopefully we'll give it four and a half tacos that are
4: on our show. That's what we're tacos gonna do. Are even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and i'm I'm working on getting Hugh Jackman on the show, so you know, yeah,
3: well, that'll happen next week.
2: <laughs> well, I'm going on friday. i'm i ha- I did it on purpose, so i I have to jet after my panel next week and to go see the movie. nice. So I don't get like awesome burnout on the second day.
4: <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, awesome. excited. I can't wait to see it. I, I can't get to movies though. We haven't even seen the Lego Batman movie yet though. So Oh I
2: haven't either.
4: Oh you gotta get eventually,
3: it. eventually we'll get to it. Alright, so that's it for this week on the show. Um what I'm, a bummer I'm of I'm an at, ending. It is bummer. It is a bummer. We'll have to have like a panel show sometime again. Alright. Where we just talk about stuff. That'd be okay. fun.
4: Okay. okay Sorry, cool. I, I interrupted so, you.
3: So uh, before we go uh, Sherry, do you have any uh, social media you want to shout out? Places we can find you online?
2: Uh, sure. Um, I guess the I am uh, SW Sondheimer on Twitter, and I will be tweeting stuff from Emerald City Comic Con next week. Uh, my Instagram is the same, I think. You think <laughs> I would know?
4: <laughs> and she also writes. You also write for Geek Mom, so I if also you're write looking, to and you, is your um, Padawans column, is that weekly? Or is it just whenever Uh, you have something to say?
2: It's mostly weekly. Okay. Yeah. So my gather on padawans column where I try to uh apply comic books to what should I what would you call it, Jamie? I almost said useful, but no, that's not what I meant.
4: Um Uh, you you apply comic books to to, to, Yeah, and to just talk (laughs) about current events and social issues.
2: Yeah, so you know what I've been talking about a lot, um, is Uh, the Sam Wilson Captain America and how that applies to current events. Um, Same with Ms. Marvel. Mm -hmm. And also to teach kids different skills.
3: And parents.
4: parents. Like, maybe
2: if Obi-Wan had listened to Anakin a little bit more, (laughs) a lot of drama could have been avoided.
4: Yeah, he was the worst teacher ever.
2: Worst!
4: I mean, and you know, in his defense, he told Qui-Gon he wasn't ready for a Padawan. He said, I don't want to teach this kid. But he, Qui-Gon still forced him on him and like, I mean, he did basically exactly what he said. He said, I don't want this kid. He's dangerous, and I'm going to be a bad teacher. And lo and behold, he was a shitty teacher.
2: And they, they filled that in a little bit in the Anakin and Obi-Wan comic, which is what I wrote about for Padawans. Um, and Anakin tried to leave. And essentially, Obi-Wan talked him into staying, which was a really poor move,
4: Yeah, clearly. Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan <laughs> is just a Dumbass. so
2: listen to your kids when they tell you they don't <laughs> want to do something or else they might grow up to eat our theater
4: <laughs> awesome there's your takeaway lesson for the week
3: yeah that's if you learned anything this week that's what it is right there <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we're at uh, on facebook at the gbb podcast twitter.com at <laughs> that I said that wrong we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the GBB podcast and Twitter at the GBB podcast. I am Justin at 140 Justin C everywhere and Jamie is and
4: I'm Jamie at the RoarBots.
3: All right and we will see you next week.
4: Take care. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.
0: This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geek